0: A heads up that this episode contains references to drug use and sexual assault. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander listeners are warned that this episode contains discussion and the names of people who have died.
1: Welcome to The Arts Hubbub, a monthly look inside Australian arts and artists. I'm your host, George Dunford. This month, we're listening to The Voice of Experience, hearing from older Australian artists and arts workers who speak about their value to the arts community and some of the hard lessons they've learned in their lives. In this moment, as our aged care system is in crisis, we reckon it's a good time to value our elders and hear what we can learn from them.
2: I was getting older. People were calling me uncle. So having this sign of respect allowed me to believe, no hang on, if everybody's putting me on this pedestal. You know, placing me in this position here in the nick of all places, you know, then I, I must do something to, uh, to, to, uh, to, to be that uncle, to be that man.
1: That's the actor, performer and writer Uncle Jack Charles, a member of the Stolen Generation whose resilience has helped him survive abuse, navigate the criminal justice system and overcome a heroin addiction to become a star of stage and screen. Shortly, we'll hear more about how Uncle Jack found his way to becoming an arts elder through his career as an actor, potter and leader. For The Nudge, we talk with Annette Chenoir, Artistic Director of the OzAsia Festival, about how she found her way without the help of traditional mentors. We yarn with award-winning Australian actor Tony Barry about his dramatic role changes and how he believes we can get out of our crisis of cultural colonialism by refocusing on the stories of all Australians. And we hear from Nauri Dr Carolyn Briggs, a Boon Wurrung senior elder, about how we can reconnect with Indigenous Australian culture and transfer it on to future generations. <music> Uncle Jack Charles is well-known for his stage work, including groundbreaking theatre work in the 1970s and more recently, works such as Ilbidjeri's Jack Charles versus the Crown. He's also a familiar face in film and television, most notably in the 2008 documentary, Bastardy. In 2015, Uncle Jack was honoured as Senior Victorian of the Year and he's recently written a memoir with Namila Benson called Born Again Blackfella, which connects his life and career. As a member of the Stolen Generations, Uncle Jack was taken from his family as an infant and put into a boy's home by the Salvation Army.
2: I knew nothing about my family. And during um, the latter years of my stay at the Box Hill Boys' Home, having been visited in the late 50s by uh, two people uh, who said they were my uncle and auntie, Henry and Amy Charles, took me out on a picnic one Sunday. And that was the instance that I realised that, "Oh, oh, I got family then. Oh, right, okay. And they asked me. I asked them where my mum is and that, you know, and they said, oh, we, we don't know yet, Jack, you know, where your mother is, you'll have to stay here until we can find her. And that, so, that broke the, uh, the lie that the uh, Salvos were telling me that I was an orphan. You've got to remember I was the only lone registered Aboriginal kid in that home.
1: His family and his culture were not far away, although they'd been hidden from him for years. After he left Box Hill Boys' home, he got an apprenticeship as a glass beveler, but he wanted to know more about his history. He'd heard that in the inner-city Melbourne suburbs of Fitzroy and Collingwood, there were Aboriginal communities.
2: When I first went into Fitzroy, uh, that was at the behest of the cajoling of my fellow workmates who said, uh, there are a lot of black fellas over in Collingwood, Jack. You Bet you got family amongst them. Go see for yourself, young fella. Well, I jump off the tram on the corner of Napier and Gertrude Street and I'm surprised by this old fella yelling at me, Charles, you Blanche, Charles's boy. And, of course, I shat myself, as the story goes, and then he grabs me and he hugs me and then he, he fast walks me up to the builder's arms and that. And, of course, as soon as I've entered, I've entered another world. You know, I've been um, hidden away from this uh, indigeneity and so... Um, Anybody who could, they rushed up to introduce themselves to me as an uncle, an auntie, a cousin, and uh, so I'm overwhelmed by their these people's beery hugs and kisses. I didn't drink, so I dived into my pay packet and shouted a few beers, and I had a lemon squash myself. And then one old lady croaked, "You, your mum Blanche, she's living up in Swan Hill, young fella. You should go and see her." So of course I, um, I, I will take her the first chance I get.
1: Uncle Jack did visit his mother in Swan Hill, but it didn't go as well as he hoped. His mother had been connected to the murder of an Aboriginal elder, and she was isolated. As he grew older and started performing, he felt like there was some distance between him and his community.
2: They uh, were very uh, standoffish. I was the first son of Lansing Charles, so I was ostracised in that sense. Aboriginal payback laws a bitch, and so I suffered that. I thought it might have been the crushed yellow velvet flares
1: I was wearing. Performing became an antidote to the isolation, and he worked with Bob Mazza to co found Australia's first Aboriginal theatre company, Nindathana, in 1972. Their first show was called Jack Charles is Up and Fighting, a mix of topical comedy and music.
2: We uh, performed it down in Melbourne, and then uh, the Tend Embassy came up, and you know, we take it to the Tend Embassy and that. And, uh and then I saw images on the telly and, you know, all the police and all that. So now oh, no, they a bit iffy about uh, the, all the police, Jack, uh, Bob, you know. So the prefects were raised for, for us to do it at the uh, ANU, the university there. And so all the blacks had gathered to the fray to watch this um, these three from uh, the Nindathana Theatre, the first Aboriginal theatre production, um, Tholi. McGuinness, all the Black Power movement, Dennis Walker, all came along in their droves to have a look. And, and they really enjoyed it. Uh, McGuinness and realising the potential of this uh, medium to spread the word and that, you know. And Foley um, still remembers it. He, he uh, regularly pops out a little bit of his memory on, on uh, seeing me for the first time on the stage. And, and he was right at the back and he can hear my voice clear as a bell
1: but uncle jack was also jailed 22 times in his early life for committing burglaries and was addicted to heroin in prison up in castle Maine, he was asked to run the pottery shop selling their wares at markets in the area and running it with his own version of aboriginal law
2: well, I never knew much about my law, but, you know, I'm an Aboriginal, so, you know, you've got to use your fine sense of con-artistry to say, well, this is Aboriginal law. You're not allowed to uh, uh, be ro-hypnol or serapaxed off your tits in uh, in my pottery shop. I called it psycho ceramica Pottery Shop because you have to be, in one way, a psycho to be in the neck in the first place. <laughs> You know, if you were one of the people in the psycho ceramic uh, pottery and that, and you wanted to take out a whole box loads of crockery that you made, you know, well, you had to leave something of equivalent value for me to sell down at Dewanron, you know, and Castlemaine even and that. So we made, I made a profit, and I always had that notion that uh, if ever I did leave for good from jail, I would set up, uh, try and place myself in a position to uh, set up my own psycho ceramic pottery shop outside. But, of course, when you're coming out homeless continuously, you know, your first act is to leave the um, the plastic bag in the uh, the luggage locker in Spencer Street there, uh, Southern Cross there now, yeah, and um, go and hunt up a whack as, as you do. And uh, so you've got your first bed for the night in the dealer's place and uh, your series of uh, welcome home whacks and that. <laughs> You're straight back into the hard lane again, you know. Even going out late that night after, after that and doing a series of bergs, you know.
1: <laughs> what, what got you off heroin? What stopped you using?
2: Uh, my Aboriginality, you know. The full fact of the matter, I, I really absorbed uh, my indigeneity. And uh, in the most simplest of terms, real black fellas oughtn't to be shooting white powder. We start behaving like white people when we do. We're stealing things. We're bashing our women folk. We're disrespecting our culture. Well, this is what the white people do, exactly. So, you know, don't behave like a white fella. Behave like a black fella. Don't use powders. And so I've lived by that motto ever since, you know. I stopped because of the fact that I was getting older. People, even screws, were calling me uncle. So having this sign of respect, allowed me to believe, no hang on, if everybody's putting me on this pedestal, you know, placing me in this position here in the nick of all places, you know, then I, I must do something to be that uncle, to be that man, which means to say, I have to forsake drugs. You know, I've nearly died in jail a couple of times. The last jail sentence was, uh, I was close to it, as a matter of fact. I don't know how I survived that. It was over due to the fact that Auntie Lorraine Peters and her daughter had come in on that last jail sentence. And in my last month, I undertook a cultural awareness program, the Muramali program, which tweaked immediately to me. because I was getting older, you know, getting more wiser. And I was crook at the time too. And so... Um, the penny dropped, and um, I had great intentions of coming out and uh, being uh, the Smith Street uh, the Kadachi man of the the lawman of the Smith Street strip, which I did do, and that meant that I had leadership skills. And I said, "Well, I am a leader in my own right, you know." Well, the funny part of it is, I always say, "Well, I am Jack Charles, I am uh, J.C. Perhaps I am the second coming, brown like the original. Eh? I'll go with that." You want to come along with me?
1: (laughs) (laughs) If it wasn't for COVID, you'd be able to see Uncle Jack Charles in Black Ties, a collaboration between Ilbidgeri and Teiria Theatre, which was due to be playing at Brisbane Festival. He's still zooming into youth detention centres today though. So once the COVID lockdown lifts, you can bet Jack Charles will be up and fighting again on a stage or screen near you.
0: At Arts Hub, we've been supporting Australian art for 20 years. Our team of writers and journalists keep the arts community informed and connected, a vital role in these challenging times. Right now, We need your help to continue being the go-to news source for the arts sector. You can join or give a membership to a friend at support.artshub.com.au.
1: Now for The Nudge, our monthly look at improving your arts practice. This time, we explore transferring knowledge down to younger generations, whether through mentoring or more casual ways of communicating. With the arts under fire, there's much to be learned by turning to our elders to see how they've maintained integrity throughout their careers and found ways to just keep on going. In her early career in the 1980s, Annette Chunwa didn't have many mentors.
3: My career through radio and television, I, you know, maybe this will do a terrible disservice to people who were around, but I did feel like I was out there on my own and having to sort of... Clear a path for myself. You only help people if if you thought they could help you. And that was the view I had of it. And, And that was a pretty difficult thing to learn as a very young person going into this world from a completely different world. Like I'd just been a uni student before that. So it was very quick growing up. And I probably learnt the wrong way to think about things right from the beginning. And it took a while to to pull back and start thinking about my colleagues as being people who I could probably have a relationship with that was more than just that work relationship.
1: As a fourth generation Chinese Australian, Annette was also aware that her representation of experience wasn't visible in Australian media
3: when I've been more engaged with, you know, that whole conversation around representation of of people of cultural diversity on uh, our stages and screens, I realised just how little change was happening and how everyone who I spoke to was going through the same difficulties that I had been going through. And instead of continuing to sort of hit my head on a brick wall kind of thing. I thought this can only work as if if we help each other out. And I didn't want younger people to give up because they went through the same thing as I was going through, especially since I was meeting a lot of people a hell of a lot more talented than I was. And I thought, what a waste, you know, if they give up. So that, that was a little bit of a change. But then, you know, as you get older, you realise that by doing that, it's a really important thing, but it's incredibly rewarding. And in many ways, that, that is my reward these days.
1: Nauri, Dr Carolyn Briggs, is a Boon Warung senior elder. And a lot of her time is spent giving back to the community as an Indigenous mentor with academic roles in art and design and architecture at both Monash and RMIT universities. Her reward is the reciprocity of this intergenerational learning.
4: With the design students I'm working with them to get them to understand people and place and in through their design elements and that's what you work with. I learn a lot about the way they see design particularly with architecture and how they want to embed Indigenous concepts into place. Just understanding stories, understanding the place that they're working on, understanding social impacts on people which some would be aware of and some, I find a lot of the kids have no awareness of First Peoples or the people's knowledge of the First People of of like Indigenous
1: history. Carolyn emphasises that her work looks at connecting with our past and acknowledging colonialism.
4: It's about the human relationships with other people. So it's being mindful. It's also understanding the rich tapestry that um, this country has to offer that when we offer this up, we're offering a part of ourselves up, but also the input from other people. If they understood their own stories, they would understand why they came to this country and how they had embedded themselves into this country and called themselves Australians.
1: Tony Barry is one of those familiar actors who's been in everything from Newsfront to Mystery Road. The power of telling Australian stories has kept him motivated throughout his career. Of all of these roles, it was the TV miniseries Scales of Justice, influential in the downfall of the beocchio government, which was one of the most powerful roles of his career.
0: As an actor, every actor in that had steel in their spine. Because suddenly, they were working on something that meant something. It wasn't just a product. It actually meant something and it got rid of a premiere. How powerful is that? I've long believed that the camera is the searchlight and the spear of the 21st century. And if those who are holding it can train it on those corrupt institutions, the vibration it sets up is so powerful it'll bring them down.
1: Now, as a mentor and teacher, Tony encourages artists to connect with meaningful work and those rewards that are often not financial, but more valuable his most impassioned project focuses on the environment by empowering youth to have their say in the future of their planet
0: that's something that i'm hoping we can encourage in young ones an appetite for activism using art as a means of expression and protest because that way they won't come to grief with the police patterns. Uh but they'll be able to make their statement and if they can hold up their art saying If you're not doing it for us, who are you
1: doing it for? Tony has seen culture change around him and has witnessed a new form of cultural colonialism, which he believes has seen us following America at the expense of our own stories.
0: This is where we should be, telling Australian stories, because that's the only way that's going to pull us out of the morass that we're in, that we've allowed ourselves to be conned into believing that America is the model we should be chasing have a look at america have a look at the state of it is that where we want to finish up as a country we're still at it we have a chance in this country i believe if the artists poets writers musicians and filmmakers knuckle down and and tell their stories don't try and second guess and don't try and get out there and amongst it all and just earn the big bucks they probably won't make much money but they'll be true to their integrity
1: Making the space to hear Australian stories, stories from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders, is one way of creating understanding and bringing attention to the communities that have been made less visible in our collective history.
4: It's something that you have to walk alongside people to be a part of understanding and recognising that we're not the deficits on it and we're not the silent partners in this history. So whether it's, it's frustrating or whether whatever people may see of us and understanding how we see them within our landscape. Yeah, and I think people need to be more aware how they have an impact on the footprints of our ancestors, you know, on this land. So it's a big journey. We're getting a lot of more academic Indigenous people being able to transport that knowledge into their curriculum. So we're becoming curriculum writers and trying to embed to different areas, either in science or through language, through all sorts of things that it's been a challenge for us because now we're, we're playing a major role. They're the challenges for us to embed our culture into something that has denied us, you know, and it's, and it's those opportunities that the context of elder and the responsibility of an elder is to transmit that knowledge to all people what enter our country.
1: For Annette, there's a recognition of the community that has gathered around her during her lifetime, a community that she's played an active role in growing through her work with contemporary Asian Australian performance and that she has a responsibility to that community. But is it too soon to call her an elder?
3: I feel that we have a community now of Asian-Australian performers in particular, so I feel like an elder amongst them because I do feel like I've gathered them around me a little bit and I also feel like, yeah, I'm the oldest person in the room, so no, it's not too soon. (laughs) But I do also feel that I do have a kind of power, partly because I've had a public profile, which has put me into a position where I can have the conversations with whoever I need to have the conversations with. I'm often invited into the room to have those conversations. I'm no longer outside knocking on the door, hoping to be let in. An elders that come with inherited roles and
4: responsibility. That's what an elder is in our society. That's the dive from being older to elder. And that what is a recognised elder is that inherited knowledge that is your cultural rights that you, you have to then transmit that knowledge on.
1: It's a little like that recognition that Jack Charles had, that he was being seen as an elder, an uncle, and that he had to do something with that pedestal. But that role shouldn't be too prescriptive. It should be a guide rather than a dictator.
3: I've always loved ideas and different ideas and different perspectives. And I think pretty much in everything I do, my I feel like my role is to give people the opportunity to be exposed to a different way of thinking about things. Not necessarily that I advocate that new way of thinking but just I think it's great for all of us to have that choice, to have that opportunity to see and think about things in a different way and then it's up to us individually to decide that works for me but that doesn't work for me or actually the way I'm doing things is pretty good. So it's not my job to change people's minds, it's to open them up to new possibilities and then, then they can be more assured about the way they're doing things or maybe they will change. That's up to them
1: none of us are getting any younger. It's a common expression, but more than just accepting aging, perhaps what we need is to see it as a responsibility, a time when we take on a new role in our arts community and share what we know with younger generations. Our best elders show us how to build our community, fight for what's important by looking honestly at our history and guide us to better futures, which might just be their greatest legacy. Thanks for listening to The Arts Hubbub. We'll be back next month. You can contribute a review of The Arts Hubbub or rate us at Apple Podcasts. Our guests this month were Uncle Jack Charles, Tony Barry, Annette Shunwa, and Nawi Dr. Carolyn Briggs. The Arts Hubbub is produced by Michelle Macklem, Sabine Briggs, Richard Watts, and George Dunford. Our theme music is Chasing Waterfalls by Tim Scheel. Music in this episode, also by the other stars. And our coverage of COVID-19 is still free outside the paywall, so you can stay connected during this time at artshub.com.au. This podcast was produced on the lands of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Kulin Elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty has never been ceded.